0: Welcome to Moonwise, a monthly podcast featuring conversations with women of power. I'm your host, Dorte Sophie Royal, and in this episode, I speak with holistic health counselor and researcher Sally F. St. John. We talk about nutrition for hormonal health and her unique philosophy of healing developed over years of coaching women back to wholeness. Sally F. St. John is an evidence based, functional health counselor with a personalized approach to supporting women towards optimal menstrual, pregnancy, mood, energy, and gut health. She's a pioneer and leader in understanding the healing power of nurturing the gut-brain connection and has been seeing clients and working in the field for almost a decade. After several years of personally searching for care within the conventional medical system for a variety of chronic symptoms, including eczema, anxiety, leaky gut, irregular and painful menses, she began studying and applying nutrition and holistic health philosophies to her own life. She's now on a mission to empower others to feel more holistically well, too. What I love about Sally is that she integrates science with energy medicine, feminist theory, and concepts around multi-generational healing for a truly unique approach to health. We touch on topics including healing the gut, reframing our relationship to healthy fats, how the patriarchy has influenced women's health, which foods to choose for the phases of your cycle, and toward the end of the podcast, we cover some key things you should know about probiotics and prebiotics. But before we start, I'm really excited to announce that this is our 13th MoonWise episode, and in response to encouragement from our listeners, I've launched a Patreon page to help support production of the MoonWise podcast. I've included some really fun rewards to express my gratitude for our community, including shout-outs on the show, immediate access to a Circle of Blessing guided meditation audio recording, which is awesome for bringing more connection and protection into your life. Once we reach our goal of $200, I'll start sharing in-depth video workshops with our most fascinating guests and other amazing feminine wisdom keepers. Being able to share the voices of these women on the podcast means so much to me, and I feel really lucky that I get to continue with this work. Help us celebrate our 13th episode and support the show at www.patreon.com. Slash Moontent Co. Hi Sally, thanks so much for being on the show today. Hello, thank you for having me. It's such an honor. I'm so excited to talk with you today because as a holistic health counselor and researcher, your primary goal in practice is to support women to be and feel more whole. I I just love that approach, and I think it's such a beautiful way to talk about health. And I'd love to hear more about your philosophy of healing.
1: That's such a great question, um, and thank you for asking it because I feel like in the last few years I've done a lot of work to get really clear on my philosophy of healing, and I think that's really crucial for anybody who's in this line of work because we really need to know you know what our north star is as we are you know providing um, sources and inspiration to other women in the field, we really need to know, you know, where our voice is rooted and coming from. So when I use the word whole, you know, that's a wholeism and holistic are kind of bankrupt. I feel like right now in the world in a way where they're used all the time. Um, and so what does it, what does it really mean? I think it's important to kind of break that down. Um, but not lose that term because whole is is such a powerful term. So when I say the word whole, um, I kind of come from four main beings of the human experience. And that would be mind, body, spirit, and community. So we hear a lot about mind, body, spirit, you know, mind, body, spirit, mind, body, spirit. Um, But in my work, I really try to break that down. And I also try to break it down from a westerner's lens so when i say westerner i mean how americans were raised in our culture to understand the ways of knowing about the world and i think when we think about these four beings westerners are very dominant in the mind category and so we've done a lot of prioritizing um, through an intellectual lens and that is kind of our way of knowing about the world Um, And then I think the next area is body, and that seems to be the second most dominant uh, because, you know, Western medicine has really done a good job with science on breaking down the parts of the body and the systems and how they work. uh, But where it starts to kind of get fuzzy or there's a void is that we don't look at the relationship of how all those systems work together. So when I say the body being, it's, it's more about the relationship of those systems rather than isolating them in, into parts. Um, and then the spirit component, I, you know, in my experience with my clients, this tends to be the area where women are most void of. They've just, you know, maybe at one point felt like they had a strong sense of spirit Um, and then for some reason, and one, you know, big reason I would say they have become void of it is because it's not prioritized in Western culture and, or it's kind of this very subjective area. And because Westerners tend to prioritize objective knowledge, we kind of just put spirit or another word for spirit, I think is purpose. Um, over there. And we just don't really know what to do with it. So we start to go through our day to day, not prioritizing how to nurture this spirit being of ourselves. But I think it's so crucial because this is really our North star. It's just like why we're here, our purpose, what makes us feel really good. Um, So when I say my primary goal in practice is to feel more whole, I really think, you know, getting back to our emotions and our spirit beings helps guide us to have meaning in the world. So that's a big area that I work with women on. Um, and it can be pretty challenging because we are very much in a society where we prioritize, you know, physical aspects of the human experience. And so much about spirit being is not seen or felt or heard. Um, and the last one community, which you don't really hear a lot, when you are defining holism, but I think it's important to add, and I just recently have added this to my definition of holism. So you don't see it a lot when you're you know looking up the definition of holism theory. But I think community is important because you know there's so much research coming out on isolation being linked to disease you know, um, specifically like cognitive decline, anxiety and depression. And so I think it's really important that when we're talking about being a whole person, that we're talking about the relationships that we're forming, you know, who are we connected to and what communities are we connected to and why? And I think the word that comes out of that is culture. And again, I think so many Westerners are just starved of culture, because we're this, you know, tossed salad and we don't really have one culture that we can attach ourselves to. And so a lot of times I, um, have that conversation with women of just, have you explored, you know, how you define your communities and why, and are they bringing you meaning? And, um, it becomes a very rich conversation.
0: Wow. That's so cool that you added community to that picture because, I know that as an adult, it can be harder to find those relationships and really feel nurtured, especially at a time when a lot of us move for jobs and many of us are on the internet a lot. And sometimes it's not as deep of a connection as when we would have lived in villages back in the day.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you were almost like able to be in each other's energy fields. You know, energy medicine is a one of the things that informs my philosophy of healing Um, and I think the internet is so amazing. Like I'm such a huge fan of, you know, the digital platform because, you know, we're building relationships in such different ways now. Um, but it also makes you wonder how are we interacting energetically, you know, and from a conscious perspective, like how are, how is my conscious interacting with you? And can we do that over the internet? I think these are all questions everyone's asking right now and maybe feeling, um, but you know it's important to have those different communities so we are connecting energetically
0: yeah definitely and that makes me think about our modern lifestyles i've been thinking about how for so many women issues around womb health hormonal health and fertility are central to their healing journey and i'm wondering what aspects of modern life you think contribute to challenges in that area
1: Oh my gosh, when I read this question that you're gonna ask me, I just started I started taking so many notes of like I could go, you know, ten different ways to answer this question. <laughs> so um so here's a few that I picked. Um I think the first one is, and I don't know if you've tapped into this in your work. I have a hunch that you have, but historical trauma that women are really suffering. Um, and I don't want to say suffering because I think we've moved into a healing capacity, but we're healing from um, historical trauma. And historical trauma is something that is in the medical literature. It's it's not something that would be officially a diagnosis if you were to see your doctor, um, but it is, you know, there's momentum in the medical literature that this is and should be something that's an antecedent to why someone's health is the way it is. Um, and, you know, one of, I think, the the big storylines that women are healing from is that concept of hysteria and how the uterus was a source of hysteria. Um, and I think a lot of women in the women's health, and especially the holistic women's health realm, have heard that conversation. Um, but I think we're still healing from it, because I think when that conversation started to happen in Western culture, women started to look for... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They started to look for compliance from a masculine viewpoint, because when you hear a message that your uterus is the result of hysteria and hysteria isn't good, you start to think, well, the woman's body must be broken. And so how, you know, how can I work or how can I, you know, be in the world in a way that's more masculine? And so I think in many ways, um, women, we are healing from this uh, historical trauma and we're working at reframing all of this and going back to that history and trying to make sense of how that even became a dialogue in society and going through that process of grieving it and forgiving it. And that takes, you know, that can take a lot of work and, and from a scientific perspective to go back to the research um, you know, research is starting to show that historical trauma does start to express our genes in a way that does manifest physically in our bodies. Um, so, you know, working with counselors to process that historical trauma is, is really important.
0: And do you find that many women have hormonal health issues that contribute to larger symptoms in their lives? Do you find that the womb area tends to be central to women's concerns, or is it something that might be more subconscious?
1: Um, Yeah, I do think that it, you know, when I think of the womb, I, um, and I think of it in that way, I kind of start to think of the chakra system and how the womb represents the root chakra. Um, And when I've practiced energy medicine on women, um, a lot of times that root chakra is compromised. And, um, I think it's because, you know, again, when we go back to that uh, conversation we're having about all of the beings to make a whole self and that Westerners tend to be really up in our head, um, you know, the root chakra is, you know, in our pelvic area. And so how do we get that, that energy channeling through our entire body? And often that root chakra is the most depleted. And so it's not necessarily that you need, maybe we need to go get some more energy medicine, but it's more about like, visualizing where your power center is coming from. So is it supposed to come from, you know, our intellectual being, or is it supposed to come from that root chakra? And I think the more women do activities such as dance or, um, develop a better relationship with their sexual self, or even have self dialogue that the uterus is not the source of hysteria, but you know, is the source of new life and, Um, new beginnings, and a cycle that allows for a new beginning every single month. I think just that cognitive and psychological reframing is huge. And do I think it affects the hormones? I think it can. Um, But I think what affects hormones greater is the environment that we are exposed to. And from a food standpoint, um, our food system, and I know you're really passionate about this topic, (laughs) is has become extremely toxic from the pesticides to the industrial farming and uh, the feedlots for animals. Um, There is a lot of uh, evidence that the pesticides are, is affecting our hormone regulation. So one of the best steps women can do is really start to clean up their food. Um, and I feel like that has even more power than focusing on like a single nutrient, Um, and just overall having a value system that I choose to eat food that is coming from a pesticide free environment, um, that is coming from, you know, um, environmentally friendly, um, livestock farms. I think it's all, those are all strong value systems that will help your hormones so much more than like choosing, you know, the seven best supplements.
0: So, it's less about supplementing and more about really looking at the core of your lifestyle choices?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. From a food standpoint. And there is, you know, functional medicine does a great job, which is another thing that informs my philosophy of healing, on identifying that we are in a state, the human experience is now in a state where the environment has become somewhat so toxic or a better way of saying that nutritionally depleted because our soil is now so nutritionally depleted that we are moving into this phase of potentially needing to supplement um, areas of our health to get to a place where, where we would like our health to be. So an example for women's health would maybe regulating our menstrual cycles, having for you know strong fertility, um, prenatal development, are all areas where supplementation um, we're starting to see more of in the functional medicine realm because of how depleted our food system has become. There is a reality, you know, the bigger system has made these choices, so now as individuals we're having to adapt.
0: You see a lot of women, and I'm curious what types of lifestyle and nutritional advice you tend to give out the most or find would be the most helpful for women or people in general. I would say,
1: um, so most women coming to see me are typically women who have dabbled quite a bit in conventional medicine and haven't really found the results they were looking for, or the tools they were looking for. Um, so, you know, examples of that are a lot of, uh, what I call functional syndromes. So there's these syndromes that you can still go about your day, but you, you just know you're not living optimally. So, you know, examples of that would be PMS, PMDD, PCOS, um, endometriosis, IBS, anxiety. So a lot of these women, you know, they know something's not right. And so they go to conventional medicine and and they kind of put them in the, you're, you're normal, um, which really in the spectrum of Western medicine and the load they have, they are pretty normal. Um, but in many ways that's frustrating, right? Because you want to be able to tweak things to, to get it right. Um, and so I would say most often women with these functional Issues. The first and foremost thing that's happening is they have some sort of gut issue. So there's a leaky gut. Um, there's a something called gut dysbiosis, which is an interruption in your gut microbiome, um, and that essentially means that there's an imbalance in your in your gut bacteria. Um, And this is slowly growing in conventional medicine as the research starts to solidify more. Um, But it's complicated because it's not a black and white diagnosis. So it gets really complicated for conventional medicine. And the other area that I see a lot is um, blood sugar imbalance or an insulin resistance. Um, that's very much connected to, uh, PCOS and PMS and PMDD is just really developing a better relationship to sugar, um, and, and caffeine. And a lot of times when women are pushing through and just like reaching for energy you know, we go to sugar and we we go to caffeine, um, because that's the dominant habit in society. Um, and a lot of times that particular habit is actually what's affecting our cycles and the symptoms that come along with our cycles. So it's usually our relationship to sugar and caffeine. We explore that. And usually that means amping up and, um, reframing our relationship to fat and, um, and then healing the gut. And that's, uh, a pretty big conversation.
0: So when you say reframing our relationship to fat, is that trying to help educate people about eating good fats that would then feel satisfying enough so you don't crave sugar? Exactly. Exactly. So Without being
1: too much of a science geek, essentially what we're doing is for a long time, if we've been eating a lot of sugar or caffeine, we've trained ourselves. That's, that is where we get our energy. Um, but that energy is very short sustaining, whereas fat is a much longer sustaining energy. But we have, to have, we have to take some time to retrain ourselves to use fat as a form of energy rather than sugar. And in order to do that retraining process, you have to reduce the amount of sugar and possibly eliminate it for a portion of time. Um, And again, this is all very, very bio-individual to the, to the client. Um, But that's essentially what we're trying to do is get our body to have the wisdom to look for fat as a form of energy rather than sugar or caffeine.
0: It's so interesting because I noticed that if I get enough protein and healthy fats, I don't crave sugar as much as I would. And I think about this stuff a lot, especially around women's cycles and menstruation, because I know that for a lot of us, there's a time of month when we feel really tired and we just want to rest, which is what I think our body is actually calling us to do and probably also our spirit. But our culture tends to say, no, you need to keep pushing through and go to work. And for many of us, we do need to do that. But I often hesitate before drinking my chai tea when I'm on my moon time because I'm like, well, my body wants to be in a little bit of a downshifted state, so why would I flood it with all of this caffeine? It feels almost violent in a way.
1: Oh, I love how you framed that. I would agree. And I appreciate you actually using such a charged word um, because I think we women do kind of need a shakeup on understanding our cycle. Um, And, and I think you've had, I think you've had guests on your show before who have talked about how, um, our cycle, how society or the new world is formed on the male's hormone cycle and not the female. Right. Is that correct? Am I okay? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and I totally a hundred percent agree with that. And I think that's another relationship Um, that's being understood right now with women is our relationship to our natural cycle. And that for so long, we've been asked to follow the masculine cycle, which is really just a 24-hour period. And um, when really our cycle is four phases. Um, And I say phases because sometimes it is longer than four weeks for some women and it's still very much healthy. And so I think, um, yeah, it's interesting when we're in those you know week 3 or phase 3 and 4 and we're feeling tired and it's almost like that few first waves of feminism that really taught us that we can we can operate the same way every day if we want to that's our right as females and yes absolutely it's our right but is it our natural cycle and should there be a time where we're actually you know going more introspective more introverted spending some time um with our inner being and doing less out in the world and i think that's something that the the studying the menstrual cycle has been such a gift is realizing oh we don't have a new cycle every 24 hours we have a new cycle every four phases and that's kind of beautiful and i get to know that like the front half of my cycle i get to be an extrovert you know and i get to go connect with all these people um, and I get to eat kind of more complex foods and be a little bit more of a, a foodie during that time and then know that I have those other two weeks to cleanse and recuperate. And it's been really freeing for me um, to study the cycle in that way. Um, but I know that there's tension in there because I think there are a lot of women that still really want to be able to have that masculine cycle. You know, they want to be able to go hard every week. Um, and, and so there's tension there. There's, there's definitely tension there.
0: Right. And it's not to say that anyone can't do that, but that there may be consequences long term to people's overall well being, and we shouldn't ignore that. And I'm curious about, um, the foods that you mentioned, and I'd love to dive deeper on that idea of being able to eat more complex carbohydrates during a certain phase. So I'm wondering which types of foods are good for each phase and Maybe we should define the phases a little bit for our listeners in case they want to know. So, um,
1: well, I'm going to take one step further if you don't mind. Um, so when it comes to the menstrual cycle, there, the way most Westerners know about the cycle is through the conventional medicine lens. And the way it's defined through the conventional medicine lens is that it's about a 28 day cycle. So, um, and that's usually about a four week cycle. Um, and the reason why I'm defining it through the conventional lens is because most of us, when we've gone to our OBGYN appointments and we're hearing advice from our OBGYNs or even our midwives um, or nurse practitioners to just know that they're operating with that way of knowing. Um, and the reason why that 28-day cycle is, was the answer is because in any sort of research, you have to find a mean, you have to find an average to work with. But it's also important to know that anytime you standardize anything, you do lose some wisdom. So there are there are with women who do not fall in line with that 28-day cycle. Um, and actually, women can have cycles up to 45 days and still be very healthy. And so that's why I use the word phase rather than week, um, because it's important to kind of stay somewhat fluid because every woman is a little different. Um, so I think one of the, the, the reason why I backed up to talk about conventional medicine is a lot of times women as if they're quote unquote broken or not in the correct cycle because they're not falling in that 28 day cycle. And so one of the first steps I always encourage women to do is start tracking and you may not be as broken as you think you are. And I think that's also very important for women who are starting a fertility testing process because um, most often when you go in to a conventional doctor to talk about fertility, again, they're going to be utilizing the research because they're evidence-based and they're going to be saying, okay, you need to come back on day three and day 17 and et cetera to get these hormones tested. But if your cycle is operating into the 35 day, 45 area, all of those days will be incorrect. So to be an advocate for your own health, you can now educate your practitioner about what your cycle is before going into those appointments. So you can identify that testing correctly. So that's just like a little bit of background from a conventional lens. Um, But as far as the phases go, so in the first one and two phases, so the first half of your cycle Um, that is the, um, stage where we are full of energy. We're feeling extroverted. Um, we have more energy to do contact sports or do, um, high endurance workouts. Uh, we tend to be more idea-driven during that time of just like, I have this idea and visionary. Um, it's a good time to plan your social calendar because uh, you're really high-performing in that phase. Um, your digestion is typically at its strongest then, so it's a good time to maybe go out to eat to a, a new foodie restaurant to try a food you've never tried before because your your microbiome is a little less taxed. Um, uh, so that's what I meant by the, by the foodie aspect. Um, it's a time where we can have more complex foods on our plate, maybe even eat more raw vegetables. Um, because when we get into the phase three and four of our cycle, we are really needing to approach things more gently. So, um, from a physical aspect, you know, this is when we do yoga, walking, stretching, um, maybe, uh, some creative dance that's a little bit more introspective. Um, foods would be stews and like slow cookers. And this is a great time to use broth therapy. You know, what I mean by that is like waking up in the morning and starting your morning with a warm cup of broth rather than a warm cup of, you know, something caffeinated. Um, those are all things that are going to support the digestive system because if you start to pay attention to your cycle, something most women will also notice is around week three, their digestion starts to get a little sluggish or their stools start to change a little bit. Um, and your hormones are shifting and hormones, hormone regulation is constantly happening in our gut. So our gut is very much responsible with how our our hormones are regulated, which is a big reason. And if you have any leaky gut issues or uh, gut dysbiosis, that addressing your gut health can be so helpful in rebalancing your hormones. Um, So is that helpful?
0: That's super helpful. And to clarify about the phases, so the energetic phase one and two that you're talking about, that starts right after your period ends, right? Correct. Yes. Thank you for verifying that. Mm Mm-hmm. I also think it's so helpful to remind people that if you're not on an exact 28-day cycle, that it's okay and it can still be healthy. Because I know I talk with a lot of women who want to be aligned with the moon cycles because there's this thing like you should bleed with the new moon and ovulate with the full moon, but it's a little bit more fluid and flexible. And it can also shift and maybe that's okay.
1: Right. And I'm so glad you're bringing that up because me, I personally... Um, and one reason that brought me to this work was ever since I was a teenager had severe, severe menstrual issues. Um, I've been hospitalized for PMS. I've, I fainted on the volleyball court when I was a teenager for having severe PMDD. And, you know, at the time they just had no idea what to do for me. Um, and so for years, as I started to study this, you know, I had a phase where I was really kind of obsessive, like I need to get in sync with that moon because i I know that is what it means. Um, but we're not, you know, we're not women living on a village in the, you know, just with the earth anymore. Like, we're, we're very much in a modern society. And so I think it's important to know that we need to stay fluid. Like, the moon is a nice guiding star, um, and there's a lot there. And there's a lot of historical wisdom that I think we should pay attention to. But we also have all this new modern things influencing our hormones, um, like computers, you know, screens, artificial light. Yes. They're kind of like our artificial moon. Right. So, so to just, just know that the body's pretty resilient and we are forming these new natural cycles.
0: Wow. And I just love talking about the phases because it's so compassionate in a way to be like, Hey, you don't have to operate the same exact way throughout every month or every day and growing up in a linear male-oriented system we often feel that we need to but if there are even small ways to honor that we're in a different space almost every day it can be empowering
1: it is it is and i'm so glad you bring up compassion because i think we really as we're healing our feminine beings i think it's so important to be compassionate with ourselves um And, you know, remove those expectations that maybe the masculine world has really put on us and expand, you know, just expand towards possibilities and ways of knowing that we never realized was available to us. Um, And I think compassion allows for that door to open in a really big way.
0: Well, I know you've also been doing pioneering research into gut health, and you just mentioned the link between our gut microbiome and our hormones. So I'd love to hear about what you're finding and learning about and what our gut can do for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, gut health is
1: my favorite topic. Um, And this came to me because as I was doing health coaching and I started health coaching about a decade ago. um, And the more I worked with clients, it was always going back to the gut. It was just constantly going back to the gut. And, you know, 10 years ago, this really wasn't in the research yet. You know, it was definitely in the alternative camp of there's something there because there's that famous Um, saying by Hippocrates that all disease begins in the gut. And so naturopathic medicine always believed this, you know, but finally it's starting to hit the conventional realm and it's starting to hit evidence-based practitioners. So it's really, really exciting. And because it's going there, we now have the resources to really start researching it um, and breaking it down. And and the reason why this is such a huge game changer for medicine is because Historically, medicine has been spending energy on just researching our cells. You know, our cells was kind of the reason for everything on why the body was operating. But we are actually made up of 10,000 more microorganisms in our body than cells. Wow. And each of these microorganisms are made up of their own DNA intelligence. And so because of this new awareness, we're now thinking, huh, so we're made up of way more bacteria than we are cells. And so we probably should be looking at that intelligence and understanding how it's, you know, manipulating uh, chronic illness and disease, et cetera. And there's four major microbiomes of the body, um, oral, skin, genital, and gut. And the gut is the powerhouse of them all. So that is the largest microbiome of the four major microbiomes. And so that's why it's so important to spend our energy there. And um, the biggest thing that I have spent researching is they have just discovered that there is a critical window of developing this gut microbiome, the human uh, gut microbiome. And it is from preconception to about age three. So at about age three, um, all of our gut microbiomes are adult-like. And the only time it starts to make a significant shift again is um, during puberty and, um, again, during pregnancy and then again at menopause. So what was the common denominator there are hormones. <laughs> so there's that connection to our gut microbiome and our hormones and how much they are interconnected and interplay. So, um, it goes back to your, one of your original questions of, you know, when women have hormone imbalance, what is one of the things you do? We focus on gut health because those hormones are are communicators throughout our whole body. And if the gut microbiome is helping to manipulate those communicators, it's very important to spend energy on getting that strong and functioning well. So what is happening in our gut is connected to what's happening in our brain, and it's a bidirectional relationship. So what's happening in our brain is also happening in our gut. So, you know, to ground that conversation Uh, The term, what's your gut feeling or your gut instinct really helps that um, inform that theory of the gut-brain access. And then the research I just conducted, um, we actually surveyed um, about 300 prenatal practitioners in the state of Minnesota, and we asked them if they knew about these concepts. So gut-brain access, the critical window of uh, infant gut microbiome development, and um, majority of our practitioners are not aware of any of this research yet. And, you know, from an evidence-based perspective, that's understandable uh, because, you know, the research is still kind of moving up that um, scale of becoming um, systematic and therefore viewed as, quote-unquote, you know, worthy for an evidence-based practitioner to view and practice with. Um However, you know, there's research takes a long time. And for me, I'm like, we need to pay attention to this research. We already, the gut brain access theory is already solidified. So, you know, why are we not paying attention to this bi-directional relationship more? Um, Which is super, super, super important. and something that I, that just like feeds my work every day um, and brings so much awareness to, you know, anxiety and negative thinking And, um, if you do have that gut feeling, I think it really also taps into listening to our spirit self. Um, so the more we're listening to that gut feeling, we're actually cooperating with our hormones. I just think it's so cool. Like it's like science meets art in a really fascinating way. Um, and it's hard to have that conversation because, you know, Western medicine really loves to live in the objective world. Um, but I think we're. I think this microbiome research is opening up a more subjective conversation in Western medicine, and that's what excites me the most about it.
0: It's so cool because I almost wonder if having a more robust or healthy microbiome in your gut, like what if that actually improves your intuition or your decision-making process? I mean, we don't even know that it's possible. I mean, I could. We could say.
1: I could say, just from my own experience and working with people and healing their gut, that they become more creative beings. They become more clear about who they are and who they want to be. Um, but again, that's anecdotal because it's all happening in practice. But how cool will it be if, as this research keeps coming along that we're going to have that research, you know, or or we'll even know, you know, from I think it's also huge for the mental health world. Um, becoming less of a complementary field and moving more into a very primary part of medicine. Because if we start identifying that these strains of bacteria actually start to improve mental health conditions, we now have kind of this reductionist approach to helping mental health. And we have that with pharmaceuticals kind of now, but this is an even more natural approach to it because a probiotic strain is really more of a supplement than it is a pharmaceutical. So there's like really, it's it's like opening a whole, like I said, it's a game changer. It's opening a whole new way of thinking about medicine. That's really exciting.
0: And so for those that are listening and are like, Oh my gosh, the gut is so important. Are there one or two things that people can do to support gut health? Is it taking probiotics or eating a certain type of food? Yeah. Yeah. So, um,
1: so let's touch on probiotics because that is kind of like the hot supplement attached to gut health, as it should be. Um, and probiotics are are very, very, very beneficial for improving gut dysbiosis um, and an imbalance in our gut. The only like uh, disclaimer I would want to put out there with probiotics is this is really early science still, um, and we have only started to understand, you know, the the very few strains of probiotics that are in our gut. And there are billions of them. There are billions of them. Um, so the disclaimer I want to say is it's important to rotate your probiotic. Um, because just like our farming system, we don't want to create a monoculture in our gut by only providing one type or the same formula of a probiotic to our gut day after day. There's even some, um, researchers in the field that believe we shouldn't be taking a probiotic every day um, if we're feeling good. Um, And I tend to say that too. Like if you are feeling good, you know, you're not, you're not dealing with any of the functional syndromes that we've talked about previously, or you don't have an autoimmune disease, um, or you're not recuperating after a surgery or a episode of antibiotics, you probably don't need to be taking a probiotic. Um, And When we do take probiotics, we have to be careful that we're creating a monoculture. And so that's like the biggest disclaimer I want to put out there by probiotics. Now, when it comes to probiotics, the things to look for um, in strains would be the lactobacillus, uh, the bifobacterium. And then the last one is the soil-based organism, so the S-B-O um, will be on the label. And um, a product on the market that is, has that is BioCult, B-I-O-K-U-L-T. Um, but that's kind of a, a way to point you in the right direction of, of a product that's out there. Um, I am not affiliated with that product, so I always like to <laughs> point that out. Um, and then beyond probiotics. I would encourage adding in wild fermented foods. So that would be things like sauerkraut, kimchi, miso. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, I'm blanking on it. There's so much.
0: Do yogurts help at all or are Yogurt. they too sugary? That's
1: not <laughs> yogurts help. Yogurts are a tough one because they are so there's a lot of product on the market. Majority of what's on the market is sugary. Um, or it is processed in such a way that you're not getting the benefit cultures anymore. Um, but kefir is on the market. Um, so that's a version of yogurt that could amp up your probiotic. Um, so yeah, that's another great, another great option. The other food area is prebiotic foods. So these are restricted starches. Um, and I think more people are getting, Um, are hearing about restricted starches. But these are starches that make it to your gut um, to feed the good bacteria to help it diversify. And in many ways, the prebiotic foods are so much more important than buying that expensive probiotic. Um, Because this is really what's helping to diversify your gut. And what's going to help diversify your gut is eating a wide range of prebiotic foods. So restricted starches would be like our root vegetables. Um, leek is another restricted starch and those, these types of foods will just help diversify and, um, amp up the gut microbiome. Um, and the more variety, the more you're kind of like eating the rainbow, the less you're going into that monoculture
0: arena. So eat your squashes and leeks and sweet potatoes, radishes, all that's great. Turnips, all that's that, all of that is great stuff. Oh,
1: okay. Um, a good rule is kind of if it's if it's being dug out of the ground, it's probably a prebiotic.
0: Are there any misconceptions around women's holistic health that you come across, or any issues that you'd like to get across about your work or what you're passionate about? I think.
1: Um, I I feel like, and I kind of tapped on this in the beginning, tapped into this in the beginning is the definition of holistic is kind of misunderstood. And I think um, for a long time, holistic was kind of being defined as alternative. Um, when holistic really means that you're taking a whole approach to looking at the human experience. And so that's probably one thing I'm most passionate about. And, um, one reason why I've uh, continued to attach to holism theory and continue to study that in my work, um, and not just nutrition is because in many ways, nutrition is still very reductionist. It's kind of like, I have this ailment, this nutrient can do that. And it's not really having the whole conversation. And so I think it's important that um, nutrition be explored, but in many ways it's still it's still somewhat reductionist and so once we kind of improve our relationship to nutrition there's still so much work to do in understanding our whole being and when we start to really frame our human experience in a whole way i think that's when i really start to see clients light up and i think they start to see the possibility of the many versions of themselves and that's really what holistic health is. It's, it's, it's knowing that there's multiple ways of knowing of how to be in the world um, and bringing it back to that mind, body, spirit and community connection is probably what I'm most, most passionate about when it comes to kind of decoding what holistic health is.
0: I love that. So it's not just a pill or a diet or a regime. It's about how you are living as a human being in relation to your body, the environment, the people around you, nature, and your choices. I love that.
1: Absolutely. Well said. Absolutely. It's so much more about our relationship, you know, our relationship to all of it.
0: Beautiful. Well, Sally, for our listeners who want to find out more about you, where can they find you online and can they book a session with you?
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So I have a website. It is sallyfsaintjohn.com, S-A-L-L-Y-F-S-T-J-O-H-N.com. I also have a a very active Instagram page, Facebook, and LinkedIn if you want to connect uh, via the social networks. And I have a newsletter that you can sign up for. Um, So those are all ways that you can connect with me. You can book a session. I do do um, complimentary 15-minute sessions for um, women who are really just wanting to explore health counseling um, and see if it's a good fit for their life. Uh, So you can book a complimentary 15-minute session from my website.
0: Awesome. And you do sessions remotely as well, right? I do.
1: No, I do um, in person. If they would like, if they're local, I also, I do a lot over the phone or um, via video as well.
0: Thank you so much, Sally. This was so enlightening and I'm so glad we got to speak today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was fun to connect. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope it will inspire you to nourish yourself and invest in your precious health and eat those prebiotic foods. Visit us on the website at moontent.co to share your thoughts, and while you're there, you can sign up to get a free digital copy of my booklet, Moonwise, A Guide to Celebrating Your Cycle, which is full of tips and practices to take care of yourself and your hormones throughout the month. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us on iTunes and consider supporting with a financial contribution at patreon.com moontentco. For as little as $3 a month, you can get some great rewards and our deepest appreciation. Our theme music is "Butterflies March by Sophie Cooper from her album Rewilding, available on Bandcamp. That's our show. I'll see you on the next new moon. Oh, yeah.